Welcome to this Burlington Audio Podcast. We hope you will be encouraged and inspired in your faith as you listen to this message. We'd love to hear what you think. Please be in touch with us through the website. More information and many more podcasts are all at burlingtonbaptist.org.uk. Thanks for listening. Great. Thanks, Mark, very much. Good morning, everybody. Uh, my name is Simon Harris. If you don't know, I'm one of the ministers here. And uh, we're week two in a series on identity. Hashtag, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? Uh, last week, um, we uh, built some uh, really important foundations. So if you missed last uh, Sunday's sermon, uh, you're a right loser. Because uh, identity is based on what we do, right? Uh, and you can... You can Put that right by listening to it online. We're making a big effort to get our podcasts online a lot quicker. So the hope is that we'll get them online uh, Sunday afternoon or if not latest by uh, Monday. So hopefully they'll be coming to you a bit more reliably than perhaps has been your experience recently. We're also aware that they're a little bit quiet depending on uh, the context in which you're listening. So we're, we're working on that as uh, well. The big story then last time is that our identity is not something that we can achieve. Our identity is received rather than achieved. We understand who we are on the basis of what we've received from God, what He's created us or who He has created us to be. Perhaps firstly, who He is and therefore the kind of people that He has created us to be. Those two things are kind of two foundational pillars on which we will, week by week as we go forward, think about who we are. So every week we'll begin with who God is, and therefore, as a consequence, who we are. So it works like this. This week, God is Father, uh, and therefore, as a consequence, who are we? We are adopted children, and we'll be following that kind of theme right the way through. Because there is no other identity or In fact, there is no other true identity other than that with which God has given to us. We look everywhere, don't we, to try and make sense of who we are. We need to push all that aside because all of it's false. Everywhere we look, as we saw last time, is idolatrous. So we look to someone or something for that which we can only rightfully look to God for. That's idolatry. We make an idol of it. We allow it to feed our lives, to speak into our lives. We bow at its altar, whatever it might be. And all of that needs to be swept aside. That we might receive from God only what God can give us. And our true identity only comes from Him. Probably the most amazing revelation in the Scriptures is that God is Father, is that God is Father. All of the religions have their God or their gods as the supreme being, the Lord, the master, the dictator, the ruler, the whatever adjective you might use to describe someone who takes that place of superiority. In contrast to all of those religions, we believe that God has revealed himself to us supremely as father. We see the beginnings of it there in Genesis. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. If you think about it, it's an act of procreation. 
creating another like me, creating something from the essence of who he uh, was. It's uh, no surprise, is it, that our kids grow up to be like us and we go, ah, we did that. We are responsible for that. We've got no one else uh, to blame. That's clearly just my issue. No one else is relating to that in the room. However marred and broken we might be, we bear the mark of the divine. We carry his DNA. And in that very basic sense, God is father of all. But not just in that broader sense, much more specifically, in the Old Testament, God begins to reveal himself as Father. There are some lovely images. The best is probably, I think, this one from Hosea, where God talks about his relationship with Israel in father-son, father-child terms. When Israel was uh, a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son But the more they were called, the more they went away from me. It was I who taught Ephraim to walk. This picture of God stooping down and holding the hand of his people, teaching them uh, to walk, teaching them to uh, live. But they did not realize it was I who held them. I led them with cords of kindness, with ties of love. To them I was like the one who lifts a little child to the cheek. And I bent down to feed them. A beautiful picture of how God sees things. A beautiful picture of the way that God looks at who he is and therefore who we are. He says, I'm like a father to them and I, I long just to reach down and to gather them and to draw them close. I'll hold their hand and I'll teach them to walk. As the psalmist declared, truly, he is the father of the fatherless, the defender of widows and so on. But perhaps the greatest And sharpest revelation of God as Father comes, not surprisingly, from the life of Jesus. Jesus says, above all else, I reveal what God is like. My relationship with God helps you get a window on what that relationship should be and could be. And so most famously, Jesus said, when you pray, say, say, Dad, say, Daddy. When when you pray, everything begins. Every stepping out of conversation, of relationship, every new day begins, Dad, Abba, Father, you're my dad, you're my father. And at Jesus' most intense moments, when we get that insight into what's going on in the Garden of Gethsemane, the the agony that Jesus is going through, he, he cries out, Abba, Daddy, Father, Daddy. Not surprisingly, therefore. It becomes the way the early church best understood how our relationship with God is to unfold and be treated. The rest of the New Testament picks up this whole idea that we've been brought into relationship with God our Father, that we are sons, sons and daughters, and God himself is a father to us. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Daddy, Father. But for all of that, there is something else that's deeper and richer and, if you like, even more ingrained in the fabric of Scripture than simply that when we relate to God, we're invited to call Him Father. There is a storyline, a plot, that runs through the whole of the Bible. A theme that if you were to pull it out of the scriptures, all the other pages would just fall uh, apart. 
if you stand back and look at the big picture of what the Bible talks about, then you see it there most clearly. It's this. God is not only or not just our Father, but more amazing than that, God himself has adopted us and we have gone from slavery to sonship. That's the theme that's ingrained, embedded through the whole of the Scriptures. God is not only a father, but he's a father who's adopted us out of slavery and into sonship. And by sonship, I mean daughtership, our children, sons and daughters of God. In the Old Testament, if you think about it, the whole story begins with God adopting a people for himself. God adopts Israel as a nation and takes them out of slavery in Egypt into the promised land where they become his children. That's the whole premise on which the whole of the Old Testament is based, that God rescues a people and then he teaches them to live in the light of being part of his family. But what do we know about the Old Testament? We know that the Old Testament is a sign. It points to something. We know that the Old Testament is a shadow. It's not the real deal, but it's a shadow of the real deal. We know that it anticipates a reality that will one day fully take place. So think for a moment about the Old Testament in that light, in that light of being a a sign, a pointer, a, a shadow. And the language is often quite stark. Then say to Pharaoh, talking about how they should address Pharaoh when they're trying to uh, release, uh, God is seeking to release the people out of slavery in Egypt. This is what the Lord says, Israel is my firstborn son. And I told you, let my son go, that he may worship me. If the whole of the Old Testament is built on God adopting a people for himself, how much more will that be true In the New Testament, which is exactly what has happened. If we pick up some of the New Testament language, the time set had fully come. What did God do? God sent his son to redeem, to rescue those under slavery, slavery of the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, the Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are His child, God has made you also an heir. We were naturally under the slavery of the law. But yet, the New Testament says, God has adopted us out of slavery into sonship. We once were orphans, but now we are heirs to the promise. That's gospel. That's the good news. And these words are loaded, aren't they? Uh, As so many words are. When you understand them in their context. The word adoption is like that. You see, when Paul uses the word of adoption... He knows quite clearly what he will be conjuring up in his readers' minds. Because everyone knew about Roman adoption. 
And as Paul uses that phrase, he says it's like God's adopted us. Immediately all kinds of things are pinging off in the minds of the hearers because they knew what it meant in Roman times to be adopted. A Roman family, husband and wife, living as Roman citizens, discover that they're unable to have children. For the family name not to continue would have been a great dishonor for them in that culture. And so like parents of, or couples of every age, they long to be parents, to have a family of their own. So the Roman family decides to adopt. In that culture, the first place you would look to find someone suitable to adopt would be uh, from the slaves within your own household. So you would go to one of the slaves in your household and you would say to that slave, would you be willing to give me one of your children, one of your sons, that I may adopt them? Surprisingly, and that's perhaps hard for us to get into their cultural reality, surprisingly, the slave would be very willing to offer up one of his children for adoption. And he would be willing because it would be a grace, a rescue Not just to the adopted child, but to the whole family. For the adopted child would be saved from the precarious life he was living currently as a slave. The adopted son would take on not just the name of the family, but he would become heir to the whole family estate. And all the debts of the slave would be cancelled. So it was a huge liberation. A colossal liberation for the slave that was adopted, but also for the whole family that that slave was part of. And so they would go to court. The Roman master would go to court with the slave and the child. And the the slave would sell his child to the Roman master. And the Roman master would refuse. That was the ritual. This is all before the judge. And it would happen again, and the Roman master would refuse. And then it would happen again. And after the third time, the careful consideration, reflection, this is what we really want to do. This is what we are absolutely agreeing together. Because there will be no turning back. Then the judge would say to the child, this is your adopted family. You are now an adopted son. And in that moment... That slave, who owned nothing, who had nothing, who could achieve nothing, became heir and inheritor of the whole of that particular Roman family's estate. And when Paul reflects on the mystery of what's happened to our lives in Christ, he says, you know, it's just like that adoption process. We were living as slaves. We had nothing. We could offer nothing. We were orphaned. Our our sin had shut us out from God. We were without our true Father. And Paul describes it well. He says, do you remember what it was like? Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. He says, that's what it was like. That's the slavery that we were brought into. But you've been bought with a great price. The bit I missed out in my enthusiasm was that the Roman um, master would then pay the slave's family the price of his freedom, his rescue, his redemption. 
And so the Bible's full of that price of redemption. And Peter reminds us, you've got to remember that when you were bought, you weren't bought with money, gold and silver. However much that was, it would never be enough. But you were bought with the precious blood of Christ. And as a result, Paul sums it all up like this. In love, in love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. And so back to those verses that we rushed over some moments ago. When the time had fully come, this is your identity right here. This is it. This is who you are in Christ. God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem, to rescue, to release those under the law, that we might receive what? Adoption to sonship. adoption to sonship because you are his sons and daughters it's very inclusive don't be fooled into thinking just because of the way it was written it was exclusive it wasn't an exclusive term God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts the spirit who calls out daddy father Abba so you're no longer a slave but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Or as John, the old man, John, the beloved disciple, he's at the end of his life, he's been exiled to Patmos for being a follower of Jesus, and he's reflecting on it all, and this is what he says, Behold, I only know it in the old version, Behold what manner of love the Father has lavished upon us, that we should be called children of God. And then he goes on, (laughs) just in case you can't believe it. And that's what you are. And that's what you are. Who we are. Did you know that chorus? Did you sing that chorus? Yeah? Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us. You have to sing it with that kind of uh, droning on like choruses go, you know? Behold what manner of love the Father that we should be called the sons of God. two believers in the house. That we should be called the sons of God. This is brilliant stuff, isn't it? Imagine if we believe this stuff. Even half of it. This is who we are. And do you know what it means? It just means so much. It means we belong, everybody. We belong. You know, the word orphan is a chilling word, isn't it? Turn to someone next to you and just speak what words come into your mind when you think about the word orphan. Go. <clears throat> Abandoned. Lost. Lonely isolated, rejected, confused, insecure, uncertain. We're not orphans anymore. We need to feel that in our spirits. We're not on the outside anymore. We belong. And and that belonging is so deep. It's a hangover from Eden, the garden that is. Because we were created to belong. To belong to God and one another. And when we got wrenched out of that, not only do we feel like orphans, we became orphans, fatherless in the world, abandoned in the world, rejected in the world, isolated in the world. Yet God has adopted us. And we belong again. All that stuff that makes you feel rejected. All that stuff that makes you feel on the outside. No. I belong. Who says? God says I belong. (laughs) Hallelujah. Doesn't matter what you think about me. God says I belong. 
And we spend all our time getting our identity screwed up in what other people think. Who gives a monkey's what someone else thinks? God of the universe says, I belong. I'm on the inside. I'm part of the family. We know that we belong. Secondly, because we have a father. Father, daddy. It's a call to come close at the journey of our lives to lean in, to, to know God in a close and intimate and real way. Now I realize that's so hard for some of us for different reasons. It's hard for some of us because of our Christian experience. Leaves God more like an angry judge that needs to be appeased rather than a loving father. It's hard for others of us because our, our own experience of father has been difficult. But by his spirit we can transcend, lift ourselves. He can lift us out of all of those broken responses and painful areas in our hearts. And the father calls us deeper. What's, the, what's the, the kind of bridge bit in Good, Good Father? Deeper still or something like that. But it's profound. Calls us deeper, deeper. What does it say in Zephaniah? He, sing, he, he quietens us with his love and he rejoices over us with singing. You've got a father of the universe that sings lullabies over you. And sometimes we go, no one loves me. No one loves you. I mean, how, how does... You know... You've seen it in your own parents' eyes, maybe, and if you're a parent, you've seen it in, in your child. You know, how does it, when your kid says to you, you don't love me, what does that do to your heart? And yet sometimes we're like, we're going to God, you don't, no one loves me. I'm just, no one loves me. He sings over us. We belong, we're, 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 and we've got a family. We've got, we've got a family, which tells us a little bit about what our relationship should be like. Can you see how these truths absolutely address our fundamental identity. And if these things are messed up in our lives, we will be messed up in terms of our identity. Our identity will never be straight if these things are skew if. Never sure unless these things are sure. It also means we were planned for. The adoption process in modern day and in Roman times was long and arduous. You didn't adopt somebody by accident. It wasn't like a cat that came in and you fed the cat and the cat never went away. And you go, oh, well, in 1971 we adopted her. Well, you shouldn't have fed her in the first place, should you? It's your own fault. You know, the cat just wandered. It was like, we didn't think about it, we didn't plan it, it just happened and we've got this cat of the devil living in our life. Cats came after the fall. Uh, Adoption's not like that. It's careful. They planned and considered. It's not. It's a deliberate act. You go to the adopting place having planned it. The process has been slow and arduous. Do you really mean it? Do you, are you really going to follow through on this? Is this what you really want? And God's adoption process similarly took an awful long time. He chose us in him when? Before the creation of the world. It wasn't a split second decision. It wasn't as though he wasn't planning it. This is a big deal. He chose, he planned you before the creation of the world. That says something about your value and worth right there. Before the creation of the world. This is a big deal. And maybe some of you have struggled about your identity because of what you know about your human conception. You feel your birth was an accident. Or the relationship that conceive you was less than loving. Somehow it wasn't part of the plan and you just happened like that cat that wandered in and suddenly it was all there. No! 
Whatever was happening on the human level, there is a God in heaven who thousands of years ago, even before years even existed, had you in his heart. You are loved and you are planned. You were a twinkle in his eye even then. Oh, okay. Take it or leave it. God has adopted us and we're planned. But more than that, if you can get more than that, we're chosen. We're chosen. When you have a baby, you get what comes. You can't send them back. Two days in, you're going, where's the returns label on this? Do you have to pay for returns or are they free? Is that stock coming back or what? It's just there, you're stuck with it. And you've been in the NCT class and you're all sitting around, you know, before the babies are born and you're thinking, oh my goodness, I hope ours isn't the ugly one. I'm not sure whether I sort of said that out loud, but I've done that now. <laughs> you all know what I mean. Every baby is beautiful. To somebody. No, I'm just messing around. <laughs> What's the point? The point is this. When a baby's born, you get what you get. There's no choice. There's no decision. It's there. You're stuck with it. But with adoption, you choose. And you're going, ah, but you can't really choose one baby from another. Can you? They're all the same. There's that baby, that baby, that baby, or that baby. You might know a little bit about them, but effectively you're choosing blind. In Roman adoption, in Roman adoption, you were choosing people that were already grown up. That the sons that you were adopting were not little tiny infants. They were people that you knew that had a character. You knew all about them. So when the, Ro- <clears throat> when the Roman master chose to adopt someone, he knew what he was choosing. Isn't that brilliant? Because it means God chose me even though he knew all about me. And he still said, I know all about the screwed up mess inside Simon Harris, but I choose him anyway. <laughs> Hallelujah. So again, it doesn't matter what you think about me. It doesn't matter what you might find out about me. It doesn't matter because God knows everything. I don't have to hide it from him and think, oh my goodness, one day I'll wake up tomorrow and God will have found that out about me and then he'll de-choose me because he knew it all anyway and he chose me all the same. <laughs> How freeing is that? He chose me. There's no pretense. No faffing about. No creating some kind of image to make somebody like you. No, you know, oh, if I make sure I keep going to church because then God will like me and if God likes me, then it will all be good. But if I don't go, then perhaps he won't like me. We put a load of human nonsense on it all. Ha, we're chosen. It's amazing. Totally freeing. Totally liberating. God's chosen, frozen. What was it? Frozen, chosen. Goodness, yes. That's an example of God's frozen, chosen. Just looking. You see, because for some of us, it still doesn't get to our hearts. And the reason it doesn't get to our hearts is that you're already processing your way out of it. I know the Bible says God chose me, but he had to, didn't he? Because that's what God does. There are just certain things that God has to do. God had to choose some people, so he chose some people. As if that's the God thing. But no, he didn't have to. He didn't have to. Look what it says. God has adopted us, reminds us that we're, we're loved. We're loved. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ. In love. He chose us not out of compulsion, Or because he was forced to, he chose us because he wanted to. Because he was free to. According to his pleasure and will, he was pleased to choose you. Isn't that amazing? He was pleased about it. Chuffed a bit. He didn't go to the adoption center of the world, see you there and go, oh well, all the good ones are gone. Better have them anyway. He chose you. According to his will and his pleasure, his delight. What does it say? To the praise of his glorious grace, which he gave with an arm twisted behind his back. Which he gave freely. 
You see, God was not trying to do a number of good turns to build up his moral credit. God did not think, well, if I choose that one, I'll get a greater moral credit because that one looks a bit iffy to me. There was no demand on God from anyone, for anyone, but out of his character, out of his nature, out of the sheer genius of who he was, he goes, I'm going to freely, with an absolute bucket load of love, choose you. No, No one loves me. No one's interested in me. I'm a loser. Well, God is interested in you. God has chosen you, which takes it a step further. God not making do, we're delighted in. We're absolutely delighted in. And again, the cogs go and we try and process our way out of it. You don't know how sinful I am. Well, I've got a pretty good idea, to be honest. I've been around long enough. You're pretty sinful. You're pretty ugly on the inside, to be honest. So am I. But do you know when we say God delights in us, think about again with your kids or the way your parents have related to you or, or experiences where you can fit this into some kind of context and get a handle on it. Right? Well, when our kids do something wrong, it might really hurt us because we long for the best for them. But it doesn't stop us delighting in them. Our kids are not a sum of their mistakes or their good achievements. We just delight in them. We're just chuffed with them. God delights in me. That does not mean he likes everything I do. It does not mean he approves of the ugliness that's on the inside that he's still working out in my life. But he delights in me. Ha, I'm loving this. I'm loving this. Whew. Hey, God's adopted us and we're free. Ha, you know? I'm free from shame and guilt and fear and rejection and sin and darkness. You name it, I'm free. I'm not saying anything about me. Uh, I'm being set free. But the reality that God speaks over my life is that I'm no longer a slave, but I'm a son. I no longer live in all that family stuff that's to do with the father of lies. The family stuff of shame and guilt and rejection and disappointment and fear and control and manipulation. All that rubbish, part of the old family. I'm not in that family anymore. I'm in the new family. I'm a son now. I love it. Absolutely love it. And one of these days I'm going to get excited about it. And what does it mean to be in the family? It means we've become a chip off the old block. Have you ever heard someone say to you, you look more and more like your father every day? Yeah, he's now in Ipswich Hospital drinking from a straw, I can tell you. Have you ever looked in the mirror and thought, who put me in my mother's body? (laughs) That was below the belt, wasn't it? (laughs) But what is it? You're You're part of the family and you're growing into the family likeness. We're growing into the family. When I go home, you see, I talk a lot more Welshy. Because that's how we talk over there, my lovely. We get to the Seven Bridge and you go, all right, but? I go, yeah, I'm all right, but. Are you all right? But I don't talk very Welsh in Ipswich because in Ipswich, people are sleeping on washing lines, you understand. And in Ipswich, they always find themselves on the drag. So you can't speak Welsh in Ipswich. What you do have to say in Ipswich is Welsh rugby, that's rubbish. I know. I know. But it's just the way it is. And so when you go back home, you, you, you kind of embody the family likeness, the family resemblance. Hey, I'm going back home. And every day I hope and I pray that I'm embracing the family likeness. You with me? We're becoming more like our father and Jesus, our brother, who is the supreme example of what being part of this family is all <clears throat> about. And it's not just about effort, but he puts his spirit in our hearts that makes it happen in our lives. Because I can't do that by myself. But that's why I'm free. Because he's doing it for me. 
God has adopted us. This is point 10. I've got 37. No, I haven't. I haven't. No, I haven't. This is it. We're, we're heirs. We're heirs. My dad was a lawyer. He always used to say, where there's a will, there's a family. So you're going, so how much do we get in this new family? How much are you worth? That that son who was adopted inherited the whole estate. He could say to his father on the way home, so come on, dad, how much? You can say today, come on, dad, how much? He goes, everything. It's all mine. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Forget the BU pension fund. Who cares? Everything is ours as we inherit from the king of kings. Some of you are not as worried about the BU pension fund as I am, but there we go. Everything. The whole stage is ours. How many promises of the inheritance are a yes for us? How many? All of them. All the promises, Paul writes, are yes in Christ Jesus. There isn't a no among them. You can have that, but you can't have this. You can't have this. How good have you been? You know, what have you done? All of it's ours. And you go, well, well, how come? What have I done? You know, you've done nothing. Absolutely nothing. Because your identity is received, not achieved. Phew, that was risky for me. Two weeks in and you didn't know what to say next. Received, not, never, ever achieved. So we have all this, which isn't a bad package, to be fair. Right up there with the Sky Deal. But, still... Our reality is that we can live in fear. We can live as if it's not true. We can be as if we were orphans still, even though we're not. You with me? And we see this in physical adoption, don't we? Whilst people have been adopted into brilliant, loving homes where they are chosen, loved, and called, and their sense of being loved and called by that family is never in doubt, it's easy, as maybe you know from your own experience, It's easy still to live out of the old reality. To live somewhere deep inside with that sense of being rejected. That sense of still being an orphan. And many of us do that spiritually. We live as though we are not chosen. Not accepted. That we do not belong. We live in terms of how we feel on the inside. Like that we're still lost and lonely and even abandoned. We live with levels of rejection, even though the maker of the universe has said, I love you, I choose you, you belong, I delight in you, even though he's accepted us. And Paul addresses this. In fact, the Bible addresses it in a number of places. Paul says, look, the spirit you received doesn't make you slaves so that you live in fear again. It's like they pushed forward, they grasped it, but then they went back. And even though it was true, even though they belonged, even though they knew that God was their father and they'd been adopted into his family, somehow they'd lost it and they'd gone back to an old way of living, an old way of thinking about their identity, an old way of responding to situations. Christians, he's writing to, that have gone back to the fear, gone back to living as orphans. Or maybe Christians that have come to Christ but are still living in fear, who have continued to live as orphans even though their true identity is as adopted sons. And as I've reflected on that this week, it seems to me that God can remain a judge rather than become a father. That God can remain a judge rather than become a father. And maybe we've got as far as God being a judge 
And in a sense, that's a great thing in this context. We, we've often been taught, haven't we, that what, what we need to do is get ourselves right with God because we're sinful people, and we are, and there's a holy God. And there's a great chasm between God and His holiness and me and my sinfulness. So God somehow is the judge, and He's judging that my life has not reached the, the mark. And so we know verses, probably some of the best verses that we know in the whole of Scripture is about our own being unable to meet the mark. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So, so God's the judge, but yet we tell the story, and the story is true and utterly brilliant. That God in his love for us sent his one and only son. That Jesus might die on the cross to take our sin, to take away all that's wrong. So that the gap, the chasm between God and us might be taken away. Isn't that a brilliant thing? And when we trusted in Jesus, that gap, that chasm was taken away. And that is a brilliant thing. And we go, yes, I am justified. I'm, I'm put right with God, justified, just as if I'd never sinned because of Jesus. But if you stop there... God is still the judge. We've been put right because of Jesus, but we're still left with this God who is the judge for whom we weren't quite good enough for. That's not the full gospel. Certainly not the whole way that Scripture presents it. You see, for if God is still the judge then it affects the way I feel about the way I live. If he's still the judge, I've still got to try and please him. I, I still have to try and do the right thing to put my life right before him. I know Jesus has done it, but I know that, that, that compared to him, I'm such a sinner and, I, and I, I can become driven by oughts and by legalism and by what I should do and what I must do because I'm, I'm so conscious that God is the judge. But that's not the whole story. The whole story is of adoption, is that God is not just the judge, but he has in Christ brought us into his family, and he is now our father. And I don't relate to God as judge. I relate to him as father. If I was still a slave, I would relate to the master as the master. But now I've become a son, I can relate to the master as father. And it's a world of difference in terms of the way that we live. Are we driven by oughts and demands, trying somehow to better ourselves, to please this judge, who in the end has done so much for us in sending his son Jesus, it's the very least I can do. Many Christians live that way, but there is a better way. There is a better way. And that's that as I get to know God the Father, I'm driven, I'm sorry, I'm not driven, I'm drawn by cords of love. I love him, I delight in him because he delights in me, and I want to be who he wants me to be. And sometimes we can be driven and driven and driven, and the invitation today is to be drawn. Driven not by legalism or by demands, but driven by cords of love because he is our father. And so if we're not careful, we can end up with a gospel that has a forensic idea at the heart of it. It's about cleaning up the mess in our lives. And it absolutely is. But the real fullness of the gospel is a family idea. God is a father into whose family I've been adopted. So how do we move? How do we move beyond God being judge to becoming father? We embrace the spirit of adoption. The New Testament several times talks about God's spirit 
and the purpose of His Spirit in our lives, amongst other things, is to bring to us the reality that we are adopted sons and daughters of the King. It's the work of the Spirit that helps us cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy, Father. And we, we, we can't achieve it by ourselves. See, again, it's, a, it's an identity issue that is received rather than achieved. It's given to us. And we need to embrace it rather than work to earn it. The Spirit in our lives makes it real. I find these words of Jesus quite haunting. I will not leave you as orphans. Maybe I find them quite haunting because I'm thinking about the backstory of it. Because it seems to imply to me that you can follow Jesus, be a disciple of Jesus, and still be like an orphan. I don't want to leave you as orphans, Jesus. As if there was a chance that the disciples could spend the rest of their lives living as orphans. And maybe there is, because unless they embraced the reality of the Spirit that would make their adoption into God's family a real reality in their lives, perhaps they would never move further than God just being judge. We need to allow that spirit of adoption to do His work in our lives. And all we can do is to invite him. And I want to just suggest to you that maybe part of our journey of getting our identity straight is just to spend some time every day inviting the spirit of adoption to make the truth, the objective truth, that which is already true about me, real in my heart, my mind, and my experience Take the verses that we've looked at today. Take one every day. Holy Spirit, make these words real to me. Holy Spirit, where I've pushed you away because I've been nervous about a father being close, heal me in that place. Holy Spirit, where I've thought as view God as only a judge, help me to reframe, to see you as a loving father. Holy Spirit, take the truth of your word and make it real to me. The verses that we had, uh, a good place to start. If um, you're not aware, when we put the messages online, we also put the slides online so you get all the verses and all the detail um, that we had on a Sunday there for you to use. There are other verses. I'll put a few other links on, a, on some of the social media stuff and emails this, uh, uh, in the next day or so. But there's plenty to be getting on with. Google the Father's love letter. There's another long list of verses. The Father's love letter. A long list of things that are already true about us. But unless we have the spirit of adoption alive in our hearts, they'll feel like empty words and meaningless phrases. And surely that's not the life that God has called us to. <laughs> I'm a child. <laughs> what a blast, eh? What a blast. Spirit of God, would you come? Would you come? Come fill this place. Come bring the truth of these words into our hearts. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus.